Okay, let's not pick too early with our birds. <laughs> Hi, Zan. Hi, Miff. How are you? I feel like I don't know what to do with myself when I haven't got a cheerleading Sam Simmons standing behind me doing the bang on intro slightly out of time. How fun was that? Very out of time. (laughs) (laughs) He really hadn't listened to our opening song at all, had he? When he said, Can you sing? I sent it to him three days before. Can you sing the bang on theme, live theme? Never listen to the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, if you don't we, know what we we're talking about, we, uh, we had an amazing live episode, live recording about a week or so ago, put up uh, last week. If you miss out on it, it is well worth a listen um, because it was it was so much fun and you can hear the Bang Fam just in the background um, banging back to us throughout the whole episode too. Yeah, they were vocal. Very vocal. Listening back, I was like, whoa, you, you, they all want to be on stage with us. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love our Bang Fam. I love them too. Everyone's got opinions and they are the best people as well. It was great to meet everyone. Thank you. If you yeah, no dickheads. Got down there. There's no dickheads. <laughs> Did you notice there was no dickheads? There was no was dickheads. Great. Yeah. I'm proud of us. We don't attract dickheads. <laughs> if you're listening, you're not a dickhead. So good on you. <laughs> good on you. But we're back in our normal surrounds, just you and me, and um, and surrounded by a whole lot of birds this week. I was busy thinking about Birds. 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 Yes, bird talk. Uh, The Guardian running the Australian Bird of the Year competition for 2017 in partnership with BirdLife Australia. Do you just feel calm whenever you hear bird song? I just immediately am taken away to weekends in the caravan park. Oh dear. You're not down with the bird comp? No, I love the bird comp. This makes me super, super excited. I love birds, Anne. I, I just, I, I'm so happy about this competition and I'm so happy about the bird that's in the current leader place. Oh, who's in the front? At the moment. I just voted again. I've been voting for every bird I like. Can you see the tally as you go? Yeah, as soon as you vote, you can see the I haven't voted tally. yet. I can't decide. <laughs> Oh, no, no. You're, they clearly haven't done their, like, background work because you can vote however many times you like. So just keep going in there and vote for all your favourite no, birds. No, you know what they said on the thing? It's like it's going to open until the 9th of December, but they also said, uh, update, suspicious voting activity was detected for the powerful owl on Monday evening and further investigation identified automating voting for this bird. A large number of votes have been removed. The powerful owl committee... The street team of the powerful owl, a, a dog in the vote. They're, they're absolutely, um, they're, they're screwing with the, the vote. Who's in front? Is the powerful owl in front? No, have you not heard about the, the controversy that's, the, that's, that's going on That's the powerful owl you can hear right there. Um, the Australian white ibis is currently no, in, lead, in the league with 11,000. I love this. The dirty bird, the dirtiest of all birds is going in at number one because... As Australians, we love an underdog no. and the bin chicken. Everyone hates the bin chicken. But, like, if you were in Egypt in ancient times, the bin chicken was considered to be the god of all birds. The ancient Greeks adored the bin chicken, and it's not the bin chicken's fault that we stole its natural habitat and now it's just had to adapt to our dirty maccas in bags. <laughs> <laughs> they are prehistoric, though. Have you seen like the shell on its head? It's from yeah. Those birds are from prehistoric times. They look yeah. like dinosaur birds. They are dinosaur birds. I say all love, all powder the bin chicken, and I know that I've got a lot. There's a lot of bin chicken haters. I'm not supporting this. I love it. They, they are the least attractive of the birds, and I, I'm here for the outsider and the bin chicken, yes. A lot of love. 
One of the things I discovered though, because you're talking about this, you really you realize who is into birds slash ornithology in general mm. when you have this kind of discussion. Because you sort of think, well, you know what? Most people like birds around them. Some people are scared of them. That's fair enough. They do swoop. But you don't expect your workmate, um, your very cool punk rock loving workmate, to absolutely flip her lid when you casually mention the Guardian Bird Life poll. Liza, who works at Triple J and Double J, just absolutely went nuts and started scrolling through and giving me some of the intel and also pointing out some of the evil birds on the list. Tell me about the evil birds. I need to know. I mean, we've got the obvious one that is in the running in this competition, which is the southern cassowary, which can gut you and kill you. Yeah, the cassowary, if you come across a cassowary, don't don't go towards it. In fact, try and back away slowly because it could actually uh, destroy you. The powerful owl, though, she said is the largest of the owls that we have here in Australia. It does dismember possums and apparently it also swoops like magpies, three times as big as a magpie, but has claws. So if you ever hear this sound, run for your friggin' life because the powerful owl is right behind you. Uh, The other one that I thought was particularly evil is the channel-billed cuckoo. And this one kind of has a sort of toucan-style beak apparently what they do is this is this is some serious like familial evilness they lay their eggs in other birds nests and when their babies hatch the babies push the other eggs out of the nest they gentrify nests channel build cuckoos so they're like hipsters (laughs) gentrify nests they're the hipsters of birds (laughs) my favorite one that she warned me about though was the spur-winged plover also known as the masked lapwing. It's got an amazing facial feature. It kind of looks like it's got a bit of a, a kind of armour on its over its eyes. Mad swoopers, but they also have spurs or spikes in their wings. To quote Liza, if these guys come at you, you're fucked. <laughs> she says that having run from them and her sister, who couldn't run as fast. What happened? like, go on without me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Like the war. <laughs> dirty, dirty birds. I love them. I do love a dirty bird. Hey, are you across the artwork of Layla Jeffries? No. Incredible Australian artist, photographer. She's just had an exhibition that opened in New York City and her in one of those big high-end, you know, ooh-la-la galleries and mm. her photographs of birds of all kinds are absolutely extraordinary. They are some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Look her up online. We can't afford her. She's way out of our league. But um, her, her photographs are astounding, absolutely astounding. You'll, if you love birds, you'll love this. Birds. We clearly love birds. Dirty birds. I, in that vein, <laughs> someone put something funny up on Twitter going, which is your favourite Australian bird, and then put, you, you had a poll, Red Ruder, uh, <laughs> KFC. <laughs> I thought that was quite good. Oh, I got Desperate desires and unadmirable plans My tongue will taste of gin and malicious intent Bring you back to the bar, get you out of the cold A sober straight face gets you out of your clothes And they're scared that we know Now, the reason we're playing that myth 
is uh, it's the music of Brand New and there have been some pretty intense sexual assault and harassment allegations against uh, Jesse Lacey, who's the lead singer of Brown New, Brand New, back in the day when they were big in the kind of mid-noughties um, and particularly involving underage girls. Have you been following this story? A little bit. I must admit I wasn't much of a fan of this kind of stuff back in the day. No. Um, I, I, it, it passed me by a little bit, but I, I know that it was very much a part of a lot of young people's you know, musical education at that time. And the music was very important to them because it really spoke to some very kind of interior stories and personal stories from a mostly male perspective. So I, di- I have been following it. I'm not entirely sure of everything that is involved in it. But, yeah, it's pretty grim. It's it's grim. And also you saying then just that it's about discovering, you know, that kind of gateway music when you're young. That's sort of the whole point of these articles that have been written. And there's been a number of them, like I said, um, a great piece that – Melbourne writer Sophie Benjamin wrote for Medium. There was also a piece that went up a day later on Pitchfork by Jen Pelly. Uh, And then Junkie wrote a piece a couple of days after that. And it's – very much about the position of emo music, which is really the realm of very young fans, often the place that people first fall in love with music. And you think about the kind of music that you get into when you're a teenager, when you're making your own decisions about music, and you really go hard with that. You know, you really fall for it. Sometimes it's the first shows that you go to. Yeah. You, you know, you're open. You're an open book and you adore the people and the words that they're singing and the way that they're playing their instruments. Like it's super fandom. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and obviously in this realm there's... There are a lot of men and women, boys and girls, uh, who are throwing themselves uh, into this this world. So when you look back with the power of retrospect, and particularly now that obviously across all industries, there's just more and more of a I had the house of cards falling about these things that happened years ago now coming out into the public eye. Well, the the thing is, a lot of this stuff in terms of the lyrics that are now deeply questionable, a lot of very misogynist lyrics that everybody listened to and sung now in the context of what we know, it's almost as if a lot of these people that wrote these songs were hiding in plain sight. Yeah. And they were alluding to what they were doing and or at least pointing to it quite directly through their music, uh, the, the sort of real disgust for women in a lot of the lyrics in the emo kind of scene. Yeah, I... It, more and more, even in context of what happened with Louis C.K., I mean, a lot of his comedy seems quite clearly hiding in plain sight. Mm. You know, he was—he made most a lot of his comedy about how inappropriate he'd been, and it's—it seems quite similar with the emo scene as well. One of the things that Sophie wrote that particularly resonated with me was that his Jesse Lacey's legacy. This is the lead singer of Brand New that we're talking about. Um, it's kind of modelling this behaviour to this generation of teenage boys that think it's okay to treat women with contempt. And again, it's that thing of like what, you know. What What ongoing effect does that have? Yeah, like it's a whole generation of of people who um, are are listening to that and it's, you know, they're in a band so it's okay because, again, as that we've talked about it before, you know, you're a tortured artist. There's pain, there's suffering and the the suffering um, or the contempt of women is just part of the art, you know. It's um, it's part of the the sharing and the honesty and the the brutal uh, directness of their lyrics. Uh, but, you know, again, on the flip side of that is that if you're the guy, you know, the person in control, the, the power holder in that dynamic, um, and you're entitled to the bodies and minds and trust of these girls, then where does that leave women? Where's the power dynamic there? And obviously it's not. It's completely 
flipped over, it becomes creepy because women who are obviously music fans and want to be part of this scene are just relegated to the sidelines as people who adore these bands. And it was a very male world we're talking about, particularly yeah. that big you know, explosion of emo music in the commercial world as well uh, in the mid-naughties. But they needed those female fans to pack out the shows, to drive their popularity. And yet the female fans needed them and needed the scene and wanted to be in the scene. But they were always just there as bystanders, always there as fans clambering to the front of the stage or quote-unquote groupies as they saw them standing outside the room at the end of the night. They were never invited to be on the stage and to be telling their story. And it was... Again, the power dynamic was just really messed up. Yeah, really messed up. Well, Jessica Hopper, who's a journal I know that we both adore, uh, she's really opened up my eyes in terms of a lot of issues that face the music industry. She yeah. wrote this amazing chapter that was in her book uh, that came out last year, and it was called Emo, Where the Girls Aren't. And she wrote that chapter back in '02 or '03, and, and talked about all of this that was happening, what she saw. And she said on Twitter just recently, and while I'm grateful it reached the folks it needed to in the intervening years, I'm furious it took 14 years for the grim. Oh, she said it here. I stole her. I clearly stole her line. In plain sight realities to be reportable, to be unobscured. That essay that she wrote in 2003, I recommend everyone to read it. You can find it online. It's called Emo Where the Girls Aren't. Yeah. I'll post that on the in the show notes as well. Um, but it's got that idea about, you know, it's all about her watching female fans, watching these emo bands. Yeah. And the end of it, she's kind of like, maybe if you denied the keys to the clubhouse, it will spur you into action. And it, and it makes me happy to see certain bands, particularly like a band like Camp Cope, who came yeah. out in the last week, who would have grown up with this era of music. And I'm going to assume probably listen to a lot of that music if they're making the kind of music mm. they are now. And they've just released this new song called The Opener. Have you heard it? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> So good. It's like anthem of 2017. It's a yeah. total takedown of, of emotional the music industry and, abuse, yeah. yeah, misogyny. Just that whole thing of women can't sell out rooms. You know, there's the token female opener, and just I guess making women feel uncomfortable about being, you know, ever wanting to encroach on the space that that men dominate and just flipping the bird to that, absolutely owning it. So it makes me happy. I have hope that I can hear bands like that who grew up through this. And I hope that by the same token, men who grew up through this saw through the bullshit and are calling it out, if not then, then now, with the power of retrospect and just seeing it's it hard for, for what it is. It's hard to know though, you know. Like I, I feel like we've known it. But how long does it take for that to actually filter down into, you know, that, that generation that are now 10 years older? Are they caring about music so much? Are they reading into it in the same way that they were? Are they hearing these stories? And if not, those views were fairly early cemented and they're probably carrying on their lives. So maybe the damage has been done. I'm not sure. I would hope. I think that they're like, you know, as we've seen in so many other areas, the avalanche of of things that are coming out, it's kind of impossible to ignore that. It's impossible to ignore all the stories that have been written around this. I would hope mm. that they would see it. I, I also hope. like just winding back before emo, again with the power of retrospect, how did this happen when it immediately kind of followed this rise of independent, fighting against the authorities, DC punk, riot girl, which was all about girls to the front, women on stage? How did we follow from that into this? Like. 
Why? It, it, don't you reckon that just as you think that you're making progress, you sort of had that click back, you know, two steps back? Or do you think there's always going to be this reaction of there's a rise up of one side and then the other side comes back and meets it and goes even more hardcore and dr- drives it back into, uh, you know, the, the ground and then the other side rises up again? When's there going to be some sort of equilibrium? Hashtag can we, can't we all just get along, you know? <laughs> I just It just feels like we're con- you're just constantly going in these cycles and – I mean, I know that's somewhat of a pessimistic view, but don't you sort of think when you've got this massive movement like Riot Girl, massive within its realm, and then you have it follow? But maybe that was that was um, a certain generation of men's way of male musicians kind of taking over again, taking the power back, get back in your box. Yeah, like you've you've made it there. Let's change the focus to something else and make it quiet and interior. I don't know. I don't want to be so cynical about it. I just maybe it was more just a natural evolution rather than a conscious thing. I don't know. Well, yeah, I feel kind of responsible bringing in some pessimism. I am a brutal pragmatist and sometimes that can translate to cynicism. What I do reckon is, again, with Camp Cope and so many of other the other emerging female artists, Alex Leahy, Beck Sandridge, everybody, yeah. you know, every woman who's dominating the Triple J playlist right now, the future is female and this is going to just change the state of Australian music, I reckon, over the next five years in terms of what's being sung about, what's being celebrated. Um, I have hope for the future is what I'm saying. Fingers crossed, hey. Well, after all that heavy stuff, I feel like I need to bathe in something trivial, San. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Today we shall be um, reassessing Paris Hilton's contribute to the world of music. Is it no, bad that, that I like that song? It was all right. It was fine. You know, it was a hit for a reason. Catchy. Very catchy. <laughs> well, yeah, and all the money that she pumped into it to get it out there and have, sit, have it in our ears because she can. But uh, Paris Hilton is in the news this week because she said with a post on Twitter celebrating anniversaries, I love this, Eleven years ago today, me and Britney invented the selfie and popped up two photos of her back in the heyday of Paris and Britney when they were going off to Las Vegas nightclubs wearing their um, Juicy Couture tracksuits. <laughs> um, two photos of, of those two. Uh, and the world lost its collective minds. Didn't like the fact that Paris has taken responsibility for the selfie. No. Uh, The world has bitten back and she ended the day, which I loved, saying with a final tweet, jealousy is a disease, get well soon. (laughs) Such a good bird. (laughs) Oh, Paris. I I mean, she must have the thicker skin in the game, let's be honest. Yeah, and look, let's be honest, she really didn't invent the selfie. Nah, she didn't. Her entire Twitter feed was filled with people reminding her of other people that have done one, in particular starting back in 1839 when a photographer, Robert Cornelius, took a picture that has been cited as the first selfie with actual evidence of it. It's weird that you brought this up today because this is something that I've explored in a scientific way with Dr. Carl. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, and it's got a really weird twist, so stay with me. He was trying to find out who indeed coined the term selfie in relation to this, you know, the, the picture. And he did a bit of digging around and he found out that it was back in 2002 that the term was first actually coined in a public space by a guy called Nathan Hope, who is an Australian. He went out to his mate's 21st birthday, had a little accident, basically got pissed, uh, cut his bottom lip and then had these like dissolvable stitches in his 
bottom lip. Mm. And he is a bit of a nerd, so he was on a chat room. Also, it was 2012, so he was on a chat room. Sorry, 2002, and he was on a chat room. <laughs> He's on an online forum. Dial up. And he... <laughs> I, can, I can still hear the... Mom, get off the phone. Anybody over the age of 25 to 28 to 30 to 35 maybe will know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, he basically wanted to find out about how the recovery of his bottom lip was going because it was dry and uncomfortable and he thought, I'll doctor Google it, but maybe it was in before do- Google. And so he wrote, um, This would have been Ask Jeeves, wouldn't it? Ask Jeeves, Jeeves, yes. <laughs> On Alta Vista or Netscape Navigator. <laughs> He said, I'm drunk at my mate's 21st. I tripped over and landed lip first with my front teeth coming a very close second on a set of steps. Ow. I had a hole about one centimetre long through my bottom lip. And then he posted a self-photograph, like he's taken a photo of it. And then he's continued writing and said, and sorry about the focus. It was a selfie. So he's the first person who used to it. the term. And here's the kicker. Nathan Hope, also known as Hopey, is someone that I met recently as the one of the best mates of uh, uh, one of my previous boyfriends. And he went to uni with this guy and he bloody knows Hopi. He knows the guy no. at the start of the selfie. No. So Paris Hilton, get back in your box. <laughs> I won't believe it until he makes a video clip of stars of mine. <laughs> Sorry, Hopi. Um, hey, Zan, what are you banging on about? <laughs> Seems someone natural for you to ask, doesn't I it? I know. <laughs> I'm not off with the fairies today. <laughs> um, I'm banging on about something that I got a shout out to Julia Baird who tweeted this and I'm so glad she did because it's this incredible young journalist and I mean young. I think she's 10, possibly 11 years old. She lives in the town of Sellens Grove in Pennsylvania and she is a self-publisher. She has a website called the Orange Street News and she basically brings you, uh, covers all the stories from her small town uh, as they happen in both print and video form. Hildy Kate Lushek here, the publisher of the Orange String News. For the past three weeks, the OSN has been covering a series of stories on an alleged KKK member charged with ethnic intimidation right here in Seals Grove. Now, new and So that's Hildy Lushek. She's a boss. She's freaking amazing. Like, seriously, she's 10 years old. She'll be terrifying when she's 25. <laughs> Her top stories include target worker allegedly confesses to swiping thousands from register and another one, alleged Grove drug deal busted... Quote, five bags of heroin and two rocks of meth confiscated. Whoa. So she's Whoa. in there. She is on the ground. She's covering these stories. Some people have had a bit of backlash and said, why is a 10-year-old girl going and covering, well, particularly a murder that she ran and she got the scoop because it was a few blocks away from her house. She got the scoop before the major networks. I mean, oh. obviously there were police there. It was a safe area. But yeah. she went and did this story and was hours ahead of any other news source. I just love that this 10-year-old kid is first of all going out there and making you know taking making an opportunity for herself mm. and just doing this great journalism and so hungry for it she's just a bloody <laughs> legend so, you don't think maybe a bit overachiever oh, at look, a young age she's absolutely going to be a punisher <laughs> but she's going to run the world as well and i will look forward to her being my boss in the future good on you hildy she's amazing yeah i'll put the i'll put the link in the show notes it's really great some some excellent journalism there and as someone who previously published little zines magazines where i did my own journalism as a young age i tip the cap to her because sometimes if you don't get opportunities sure she's 10 you got to make them yourself <laughs> take life by the balls hildy you got this what are you banging on about well i i finally got around to seeing um hannah gadsby's 
show, Nanette, oh. last night. Comedian Hannah Gabs. Have you seen it? No, but I've heard everyone who goes and sees it just says it's like they're, they're flawed. Yeah. And, it won, and it won the it it won the, prize the Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh yeah. prize, top prize. It won the Melbourne Comedy Festival prize. I'm I'm distraught. I didn't see it earlier, and I think she's got a final couple of shows in Melbourne and maybe one in Sydney. She's coming back in January to do an extra show at the Opera House. I yeah, think. and but the thing is about this show is that this is her final comedy show. She said she's not doing this anymore, and the entire show goes into reasons why. And I don't want to give it away because. I'm still processing what I saw last night. Mm. Um, it was so incredibly impressive and smart and powerful and difficult and horrible and I, I don't even know how to express what the, the, the roller coaster of emotions I went through. I can't imagine what she went through to create this show and I think every award she has received is so deserved and I, I don't even know how to recommend this show other than prepare yourselves. It's traumatic AF. Like it's it's difficult and it's funny at the same time and it makes you question all the reasons why you see comedy. It makes you question what you do yourself. Um, yeah, it, it it's extraordinary. It's actually extraordinary. Go and see it and I don't know, I don't know what she's going to do next. But I think the takeaway from it for, for me was – What's important is individual stories, stories from the margins, stories from the edge. And she made this beautiful line in at the start of the show, and I don't certainly don't want to quote her because that's always a problem, but because it never quite translates. But she said something about growing up in a small country town in Tasmania and being kind of ostracised there because she was gay. And she said, you know, people from the country always say they don't want to hear our stories. And then she said, so why do you kick out your best storytellers? And I was like, oh, my God. I just got shivers. Yeah, it's – and that's what I took away from it. You know, it's it's traumatic. It's it's triggering. It's all these things. And that was the kind of end point I got from it was oh, – I still can't quite kind of process it. It's so full on. Um, yeah, that it's important to listen to the stories from the margins mm. and they're the ones that need to be told now and it's time to change the power structures. It was amazing. Go and see it. I'm going to try and see it in January. Thank you, Miff. No worries. I'm going to cry now because really it was that good. Yeah, it's been a full-on week, hasn't it? Yeah. I'm glad that I get to talk about it with you, though. Shall we do it next week? We shall. All right, see you then. Bye. on. But you know who else I love? Who? The Gang Gang Cockatoo with a call like a creaky door. Have we got the sound of it? I don't think we have the sound of that one. No Gang Gang? No Gang Gang. What do you reckon they sound like? Gang 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 G